Working Cows Podcast, episode 139. Welcome to the podcast that gives producers a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices. Practices that have increased the effectiveness of their operation and the joy that their families have received from this lifestyle. Howdy, everybody. It's Clay Connery, host of the Working Cows podcast here with another episode for you guys, powered by the Global Ag Network. Very excited to be joined today by Alan Crockett. Alan is an instructor with the Ranching for Profit School, and he is a guy that a lot of people have reached out to me and said, you got to get him on the show all the way back on episode two of the Working Cows podcast. Uh, He was mentioned by Dallas Mount as a uh, guest or as somebody who has been an influence on him. And since that time, of course, Dallas has gone on to take over ranch management consultants and, and the ranching for profit school. And so uh, I have tried to get Alan on and then had some scheduling issues on my end. And so I've have been receiving flack from people who have been at different events with Alan uh, saying, I can't believe you stood him up. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming around. I finally got it done. And, and we're here with Alan Crockett today. And I'm excited to talk to him about managing people problems. So Alan, thanks for joining me today on the Working Cows podcast. You're welcome. Glad to be here, Clay. I've uh, talked to quite a few people uh, about you and and your influence on their life, uh, different different folks that I know, um, and and Dallas Mountain. I've heard a lot of people quote quote you as saying that uh, everything on your ranch is a is a people problem. Is that a fair uh, recitation of the quote that you're maybe a little bit famous for? Well, I I think I just the way I said it is every problem is a people problem. Period. So it doesn't matter if it's on a ranch or in business in town or politics or hmm. anything else. It just it really all comes back to people. And what are you thinking about when you're when you're teaching a class? You are an instructor for ranching for profit. What are you thinking about when you're teaching a class as, as some of the tools that you give people to help them overcome the people problems that they're facing? Well, let me let me answer that maybe in a, in a bit of a roundabout way. But let's let's say the ranch isn't making money. You know, economically it's not viable, or financially it doesn't cash flow, or or some of those kinds of things. If that's the case, we've got a people problem. We tend to think, well, we have a money problem, or we have a market problem, price problem, or a weather problem, or government policy problem, or whatever it is. But really, it's us as ranchers that we don't we don't either understand how to solve that problem or we don't have the knowledge, or maybe we have the knowledge, but we want to bury our head in the sand to let things go on and hope that you know it just gets better on its own, those kinds of things. So it really comes back to people, and people have to take ownership for everything that happens to them, um, 100% ownership for everything that happens in life, whether that's relationship with a spouse or with kids or with parents, uh, siblings. Relationships with bankers, relationships with range cons or agency people, um, our financial situation. Or you look at your bank account and, and take 100% ownership for what's there. And if it's not where you want it to be, then you got to you got to take responsibility and fix that. So 
In other words, you have the perfect system in place to give you the results you're getting. And if you don't like the results, you got to change the system. And it all comes back to people and, and getting people to take ownership and responsibility for not only their actions, but also for the results that they're getting or not getting. And do you think that that is facilitated through communication, uh, through intentional communication, um, maybe ranch-wide uh, management meetings on a regular basis, or what, what are some of the ways that people start to uh, foster that extreme level of ownership? Well, it has to start with, with either the manager or the owner or whoever is responsible in the first place. It has to start there, and then it has to work down through employees and, and that kind of thing. And that has to happen through, like you're saying, through some meetings and some shared goals, shared vision, getting people on the same page and making sure we even have a page for people to be on. Because if we don't know, if we don't know where we're going, it doesn't matter which fork in the road we take because we, we just don't know. It's going to take us someplace and we don't know where that place is. But if we have a defined goal or we really know what we want, we, we know what we want our business to become, we know what we want the ranch to become. We know what we want our relationships to become and our financial picture and, and economic stability and those kinds of things. Then we have to take complete ownership for that. And that has to start with with the man or the woman on top, whether that's a, an owner or a manager or whoever. But, but it has to start there. And then that has to trickle down. And people have to have to get on board with that kind of philosophy of taking extreme ownership, you know, 100% for the results that they're they're supposed to be producing. So is is this uh, an idea of managers and, and owners and whoever's responsible for kind of setting that culture, um, owning up to mistakes and and being being open and honest and transparent with the people that are working under them? Uh, are there is there more to it than that? Are there other things that you're thinking about in in that regard of the kind of trickle down of this culture? Yeah, I think that's part of it, and, and part of it is just a total buy-in from everybody that's involved in the business that, that, yeah, we are committed and we're dedicated and this is the direction we want this business to go. And and we're going to make sure we do our part to make that happen. And if we don't have buy-in from upper management or lower management or employees at, at any level, then we end up with chaos. And if we have chaos, and we're, then we're not going to, we're not going to be successful in what we're doing. Are there some some common uh, mistakes people make that result in uh, not having buy-in, kind of uh, organization or operation-wide buy-in? Yeah, if you stop to think about that for just a minute, if if I'm if I own a ranch and I have employees working for me and they don't have buy-in to what we're trying to accomplish there, then what ends up happening is they don't they don't take full responsibility for the results that they need to produce, they, they might even not consciously, but subconsciously even undermine some of the other efforts that we're trying to accomplish just because they don't have that buy-in or they don't share that vision or that commitment to that vision. So there can be some real undermining things that can happen. It can happen with partners. You know, if a father, son, or two brothers are involved or brother, sister involved in a partnership, if one of them doesn't have complete buy-in in, into the direction the business needs to go and, and that kind of thing, the subconscious mind is so strong that sometimes we do things just to to self-sabotage. Hmm. Uh, for example, 
you know, there's the old paradigm thinking that there's no money in ranching and ranchers are not supposed to be rich and shouldn't have money and that kind of thing. And, and I've seen that with people when they start becoming profitable, they self-sabotage and, and do things that subconsciously, I, I believe, but they do things so that they don't become profitable. And, and that's a mindset thing that has to be worked through helping people see that and understand the reasoning behind some of the, some of the mistakes they do or some of the things they don't do that inhibit their profitability. But Alan, this individual and I happen to share the same last name. <laughs> Are there any any tips that you have as far as uh, of organizing a ranch business in such a way uh, so that you can kind of leverage uh, the necessity of everybody having buy-in? You know, you need to have buy-in, or we need to part ways. Are there? How do you? How do you uh, organize the the ranch in such a way that that's a possibility? Yeah, it it has to start with let's create a shared vision. Okay, where do we want the ranch to be long term, 10, 15 years? But I break that down. Okay, where do we want the ranch to be three years from now? And there's been quite a bit of scientific study on that. That even saying let's let's set a five year goal, five years is just too far out there. Um, it gives us just too much time that there's not urgency to it. So if we look at a three year a three-year goal of where we want our business to be in three years. And we can look at that, again, relationship-wise. We can look at that ecologically. We can look at it economically. We can look at it cash flow and profitability. We can look at it from cow genetics. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we can look at that. But I like to take a three-year goal and, th and then break that goal down and say, okay, if this is where I want to be three years from now, so April 2023, this is where I want to be. Okay, where do I need to be in April 2022? So what does it have to look like at at the two-year mark so that I'm on track to be there in three years and then break that down? Okay, if I'm going to be there in, in April 2022, where do I need to be in April 2021? Now then, now that I've broke that down, I can look at April 2021 and say, okay, from here, I can break down what needs to happen in the next 12 months and get that organized and and put it on a timeline there's certain things will have to be done first and other things later and some of it you know 12 months from now but we can break down the next 12 months of here's the actions and the results that we need to produce in the next 12 months to get us on track so that in 2021 in april 2021 we're right where we need to be so that we can now take april 2022 and break that down into the next 12 months and work through that we get to that milestone and now we can look at April 2023 and say, okay, here's where we want to be. And we can break that down into the next 12 months. And then as we approach that time frame, then we say, okay, we're about there. Let's, let's set a new three-year goal that again takes us closer to where we want to be in 10, 15 years from now. And I'm using April because that's when we're talking. It's April. Right. I mean, it could be January or whatever month you're having this discussion, but, but break that down. So it's very, very strategically planned by year and then take the first year and strategically plan that by month. And then now everybody sees that on the team, everybody on the team sees that. And if we don't have buy-in, then we need to go back and say, okay, what's, what's keeping that from happening? You know, what are the concerns? What are the reservations? What in your mind is, is not allowing you to, to see this or be committed to it or whatever? And quite frankly, there's times when, when we just have the wrong people on the team and, and 
we need to part ways. Uh, I don't jump to that conclusion right away typically, but but sometimes that has to happen because we just don't have the right people on the team. Sometimes we don't have them the right places, you know, the, the right seat in the bus, as, as we like to say sometimes. But sometimes we don't have the right people on the bus and they just need to leave and, and go get on a different bus that, that fits them better and they're happier and we're happier. And we move forward and we get the right people on the bus and get them the right seat on the bus and then we can accomplish the things we're trying to accomplish. But it really starts with, you know, that, that shared vision of where we want this thing to be down the road and what we want it to look like. And would you say that these these three-year goals um, that we're setting, uh, we can't fix everything that needs fixing in a three-year period? We're going to have to find find where we want to start and work on that thing in this in this three-year period and then and then the next three-year period maybe we can move on to a different area of the ranch yeah let's just say for example let's say we're we're losing a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and we've done that historically we subsidize the business with with off ranch income or inherited wealth or we work for free or or whatever you know we have other investments that we bring money out of them and we put it into the business and and try to keep it afloat. All right. So if, if that's where we're, if that's a starting point, which it could be and has been for a lot of people. So if that's a starting point, then, you know, three years from now, might, we might want to say, okay, let's be breaking even three years from now, you know, or let's, let's have a $50,000 profit three years from now. And when we get to that point, then we might be looking at it and say, okay, now three years from now, we want to be at a $250,000 a year profit. And let's work on that. So that could be a process that, you know, down the road, maybe we want to have a half million dollar annual profit, but that may not be real likely that we can get that done in the first three years. It might be, but it might not be. Sometimes it's just, you know, we've done things a certain way for so long that we just need to completely revamp a business and, and not do things the way we've been doing them. And if something's not working, sometimes we just need to stop doing that altogether. And, and that right there, many times will will create a profit where we've had a loss in the past. How do you go about uh, facilitating change on on a ranch in a in a family business where things have been done a certain way uh, for a long time? What are some of the some of the ways that you do it? Is it simple economic analysis? Show them the numbers. This is these this is not working. We need to make a change. Or are there some other tools that you bring into a conversation like that? Yeah, an economic analysis of the business is a really, really neat place to start because with that analysis and and if we do the analysis right, then we can look at that and then we're just looking at, at the facts. And here's the facts and here's what the facts are telling us. You know, we're feeding this much hay or we're we're doing this or we're doing that and and this is what it's costing us. And if we eliminated that or changed this this would be a projected difference in where we are today and what it would be a year from now or two years from now. And when you look at that, you know, and I like to use flip charts and hang them on the wall, whether it's in somebody's office or their family room or kitchen or wherever, because when you get it up on the wall and you start looking at it, 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 it looks back at you and it stares at you and, and you can't deny it. When, you know, when we look at the facts, they are the facts. And so, that as as we look at that, it's it's uh, you know that that's a good place to start just economically, especially if 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 a rancher has two or three different enterprises, you know maybe they you know have a cow calf enterprise and they also 
have a stalker enterprise, uh, you know, maybe they have a horse enterprise or a sheep enterprise or whatever. And you break those enterprises out and say, okay, this is, this is what this enterprise is doing. This is what this one's doing. And this is what the third one's doing. And, and sometimes it's, you look at that and say, goodness gracious, this one's losing money and this one's making money. And if we don't, I mean, we don't know what we don't know. And so, and so until we lay it out there and put it in black and white, you know, like, like I said, I like you slip charts and hang it on the wall so we can look at it. And when you see that, it is amazing that even older generations, you know, I guess we could call them that, you know, the, the dad or the granddad looks at that and, and when he sees it, you know, he will come to the conclusion, we have to change this or we have to change that or we can't do this like that anymore if we expect to be profitable. And and so laying the facts out is 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 a really good place to start, and then face face the brutal facts of our current reality. I mean, here's where we are, and here's the brutal facts of it. And now, what are we going to do to change that? And that's where that that clear vision, that shared vision, comes into place. Well, if this is where we at, where we are today, and this is where we want to be down the road, we've got to make some changes. And and how do we make those changes? But to me, it it's it really starts with why we got to get really clear on why too many people we get hung up on the how, you know, yeah, I'd like to make a million dollars. I don't know how to do that. You know, I'd like to be a millionaire. Well, who wouldn't, <laughs> but why do you want to be a millionaire? Let's break that down. If you, if you made a million dollar profit or a half million dollar profit or a quarter million, I mean, you pick the number. If you made that kind of profit, you know, why do you want to make that? What are you going to do with that money? What's that going to be used for? And as we get clear on those kinds of things, uh, Simon Sinek wrote a really good book, Start With Why, that that I think is is an excellent read that we, you know, we need to start with why we're doing what we're doing in the first place and why do we want some of these things, you know, down the road. But it, but it starts there. I mean, you, you, we can start with ec- ecology and we can go out and look at grass and say, okay, well, you know, how much bare ground do we have on this place? And as we look at grass, well, how much of this grass is under, underutilized? How much of it's overgrazed? And, and start looking at that and seeing that. I, I was on a ranch one time with a client and, and uh, you know, stopped and looked at grass. And I pointed that out to him. And he'd been there his whole life, never seen it. <laughs> never saw stuff that was grazed all the way to the ground and stuff that hadn't been grazed at all. You know, which is, you know, a pretty sure sign of low stock density and continuous grazing. And, mm-hmm at least continuous grazing through the, through the growing season. And, and when he saw it, he, he was appalled. I mean, he just couldn't believe it. He said, I've never seen this. You know, I've been here my whole life. I've never seen it. Hmm. And he said, we got to stop this. All right. You, you start seeing some of those kinds of things and, and they're pointed out to you. Then, then you say, okay, now what happens if I stop that? You know, if I stop the overgrazing and the underutilization of the overrest, well, if I can stop that, then I can grow more grass. If I grow more grass, what can I do? Well, then I can run more animals. If I run more animals and my animals are profitable, then I make more profit. Yep. And, well, what am I going to do with the profit? So it, it still comes back to people and people being able to see and understand and having the intestinal fortitude to make the changes that need to be made. And sometimes they're not easy changes to make because we, in ranching, we get really stuck in tradition. You know, as a whole across the nation and individual ranches, because you know we're third generation or fourth generation on the place, and we get stuck in tradition and 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 not to destroy what our fathers and grandfathers did, 
let's build on what they did and 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 take it to a new level. Yeah, and Adam Courtney here posts from Beef Magazine after evaluating 90 years of census data. The report concludes that there will be no operators younger than 35 by 2033, and the average age of the rancher will be 60 years old by 2050. And his question is, uh, or or could you just share some of your thoughts about the generation gap in ranching? Uh, what are you thinking is are some of the contributing factors to why that why that exists? Uh, one of them is we're not profitable, and because we're not profitable, I mean, who wants to come back and and not make money. Yeah, and I see it a lot. You know, kids grow up on the ranch and that's all they want to do. And they go off to college and realize that there's more to the world than the ranch and people are making money that they never made. You know, yeah, maybe they ran two or three cows or half a dozen cows or something like that. And, and with that, they got to put fuel in their pickup and, you know, and pay for their school clothes and put it away for college and, and really never had anything. So I think profitability is a big piece of it. But I think another big piece of it is it's not fun. And too many times when when we work cattle and and dad yells at us all the time when we're working cattle, what do you want to go home to that for? You know, it's, it's just, it's not fun. And it's, you know, we start at daylight or before and we work till dark or after. And there's no time to do personal hobbies and some of the other things that we might enjoy doing and have a life outside of ranching. And so who wants to come back to that? And I think that's, I think those two things are the biggest things that we're facing in agriculture and specifically ranching is, is we're not profitable and it's not fun. And my experience has been when we start making money, all of a sudden it gets, gets to be a lot more fun. Now you mentioned Adam Courtney and I was just visiting with his dad a little while ago and, and, and Tom was telling me, he said, you know, he says, you know, we started calving and, and Adam had made the comment that that's the first time he'd been on a tractor in a barn all winter. Wow. And he was just in there for just spreading out some gravels, kind of smoothing out some work they'd done in there. And he says, you know, we spent all winter on a tractor in a barn, cleaning it out, and calving cows and that kind of thing. We're not doing that. And how much funner that is today to be involved in something like that than, you know, being up all night calving cows for, for yeah. three months out of the winter, winter and spring. So. We see a lot of people uh, make a shift in their business to um, a, a less uh, year-round, or or we see a lot of people go to a more of a seasonal grazing type thing uh, when when they're when they're talking about trying to uh, free up some of these some time. Is there a lot of a lot of barriers between? Uh, profitability and, and a cow-calf operation, or I, I guess I wonder, are we going to see uh, less and less people running these year-round herds, or is it, is, it a, is it something that people can do uh, in a profitable way uh, if given the right uh, decision-making tools? I think given the right decision-making tools, a cow-calf enterprise can be, can be very profitable. Part of the things that we see is, is is feeding hay takes a lot of time and money and energy. And if we're putting up our own hay, I mean, if we put up hay all summer and then feed it all winter, you know, really we're hay farmers on cattle mm -hmm. And so part of that is, okay, how can we get that out? Well, we can't calve in your part of the world, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, 
you know, the, the places that have snow. We can't calve in February and March when there's snow on the ground and think that we're not going to have to feed hay because if our grass is all covered up and, and, and we can't get to it, then, then we have to feed hay if, if we're going to calve at that time of year. So what we've seen a lot of people do is, is maybe shift in the cattle. Some calving April, May, some May, June. And because of that, then they're not having to feed near as much hay. Some of them completely taking hay 100% out of their operation, and they're still running cows year-round. But they're stockpiling for forage, and, and you know, and cows can graze through some snow as long as it's not frozen over and crusted and iced and that kind of thing. Ice is a hot, lot harder to deal with than snow is to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I asked Jim Garrish one time, and he said, I've found that the uh, the winters in Idaho are much more easy to deal with than the winters in Missouri, which was kind of surprising to me. But he said, just for that reason, the ice ice becomes a, a real difficult thing to get around or get past. Yeah. And and so, well, I was talking to a client in, in North Dakota last one, I guess it was, and they had lots of ice and he said I, you know, my cows have grazed through snow for years but this ice things i gotta take a tractor out there and just break ice up to another bell where they can get to they won't move they won't walk hmm. and it cuts them and it's just it's terrible so sure. so again I, I think the decisions that come along with that are i mean those are people decisions and people problems that we have to own up to that and say okay you know what enterprise is best for the environment that, that we choose to ranch in and if we choose to live in South Dakota or Montana or North Dakota or, you know, wherever, Arizona or Texas, I don't care where. I mean, that's a choice, and we have to recognize that that is a choice. And if we choose to live in, in, in that environment that has a lot of snow in the wintertime, okay, well, then maybe we need to choose to not be calving in February and March. You know, maybe we should be calving in April and May, or maybe it should be May and June. And, and those kinds of decisions, that comes back to people. and and taking ownership, complete ownership, that, that we're going to run this business and we're going to run it this way. And these cows are going to work for me. I'm not going to work for the cows. And when we put up hay all summer and we feed it all winter, we're working for our cows. They're not working for mm-hmm. us. And the more of that we do, the less profitable we are because of the equipment and man hours and fuel and everything else that comes into that that, that we spend money on lots of times is not necessary and lots of times ought to be done away with. Yep. And like you're saying, it's not just the, and this is a a quote from Dave Pratt, but he's, you know, it's not just the quote, the cost of the inputs, it's the cost of the inputting. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I got another great question here. Uh, Sage Askin asks, uh, how do you take people from being your biggest problem, the scarcity mindset, to being your biggest asset, the abundance mindset? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, The scarcity mindset, I like to, excuse me, I like to draw a ladder on a flip chart. And I start at the bottom of the ladder and say, this is death. And you move up a rung or two on the ladder and there's anger and there's blame and there's hatred. and and those kinds of feelings that we have and and right there toward the bottom of the ladder is a scarcity mindset and then i jump up to the top of the ladder and say okay at the top of the ladder we have joy and love and happiness and fulfillment responsibility and and there's also an abundance mindset when we're at the top of the ladder and then there's all kinds of places we get to on that ladder and 
you know, obviously when we, when we die, we're done, but as far as ranching is concerned, but, um, but, but we can, we can slide up and down that ladder or slip off the top rung and be down close to the bottom and catch ourselves and pull ourselves back up. But again, that's taking ownership. So after I write that out at the top of that ladder, I like to write the word ownership and at the bottom of the ladder, the word victim. And when we have a scarcity mindset, really, we have a victim mindset, a victim mentality that there's not enough around, you know, there's not enough. If I get what I want, you can't have what you want. Mm. And so we have to get out of that, that there is enough to go around and you can have what you want and I can have what, what I want. And, and there's still plenty for the next person to have what they want. So part of that in, in getting people to see that, that abundance mentality and abundance mindset is, is sometimes we have to, for example, let, let's look at grass and back to the ecology thing and overgrazing and overresting grass versus, you know, good quality grazing where we're growing more grass and we're stopping those other negative things from hap- happening. And, and as we do that, we build soil and, and soil fertility. And as we do that, then we grow more grass and, and it just snowballs on us that, you know, we, we start doing things right and, and things just get better and better and better. Whereas we do things wrong and they get worse and worse and worse. And from soil to grass and, and, and our pocketbook. And so sometimes we have to take people that <clears throat> say, well, you know, we've always done it this way and we've always set stock and this is how we've done it. We have to take them someplace close by. Mm. And there's more and more places close by just about any place we ranch anymore. But take them to somebody that's actually doing some good things and, and, They've gone from running 500 cows to running 750 cows or 1,000 cows on the same acres of land by stopping the overgrazing and stopping the overrest and, and building soil and those kinds of things and, and let people see that, that yes, this can be done and, and we can do it too. Again, if, if people get stuck in that scarcity mindset and we can't get them out of that, you know, through through working with them and teaching them and trying to educate them and that kind of thing, then, then maybe they shouldn't be part of our team. When, and, and I opened this up, as I said, uh, I think I said that to, to my private Facebook group for some people to submit questions. Every one of these questions has to do in some way with uh, the next generation, whether it's the next generation starting from zero or passing it on to the next generation or managing the tension of one, one age, one generation coming up and another generation transitioning out. And then this generation being caught in the middle, um, I, I guess what I where I want to go again, another question from Sage here is uh, when person when a person's getting started out in ranching and I'll, I'll just say from zero uh, without without any inheritance, without uh, a parent involved, what should they avoid doing and what are some of the big steps that they should do when they're trying to get started out? That's a great question. I think I think part of that is look for win-win situations. Um, and I think there's a lot of them out there, but win-win, if, if you and I are looking at trying to do something together and it's a win for me and a lose for you, I don't want to be part of that. If it's a win for you and a lose for me, I don't want to be part of that either. It really needs to be a win-win. And so looking at that, um, how can I win and how can you win? And, 
and and let's just say you're the you're the landowner you own the ranch and you don't have any heirs that want to come back or, or whatever and i'm the young 30 year old rancher looking for an opportunity i believe that there are lots of ways we can meld those two people together young people with older people that don't have the same last name and don't have the same blood run through, running through their veins and i think we do that by Starting out, the young person leases the ranch, maybe leases the cows or custom graze or does it on a share. It has to be big enough to scale that the young person can, can make some money and put some money aside to start buying cows or buy more of them or eventually buy some of the land or set it up so the young person can lease the ranch from, from the heirs, your heirs. If, if they're not going to come back to the ranch, that can be set up so that they get a lease payment, and after you're gone, they get it. But I get to keep leasing the ranch and, and building that. I think part of the problem in ranching is, well, I don't think I know it is, is, is we have so much money tied up in land that it's hard to make a return on that. And, and really, if you look at land, you know, ranch land, how do you make a return on it? Well, you either lease it or you sell it. You know, if you're going to lease it, you can lease it to your livestock company or an operating company, or you can lease it to a neighbor or to a young person or, or something. But, but that's this, it, it, to me, it's no different than if, if you said, okay, I, I want to own an apartment complex. You know, there's two ways to make money there. You lease it out, rent out the apartments, or, or you sell it. You know, down the road, you, you, you fix it up or do something and you sell it and, and get some capital gains out of it. So to me, a ranch is the same thing. We, we make money in land by either leasing the land or by selling it. Leasing it gives us a very small return, but it gives us cash flow. Capital gains and selling it down the road is, is where the, the bigger money would be. So I would be looking at that and say, okay, number one, if I go buy land, if I'm a young person and I go buy land, now my money's tied up in that land. I'm struggling to make a land payment. And... And I've got money tied up in something that I do not intend to sell. I want to keep this place. This is going to be my ranch. So that creates a big issue. It puts all kinds of constraints on us to be able to make money when we're having to make a big land payment. If we can take that around and say, okay, let's lease land rather than buy it. And let's partner up with somebody, whether that's the landowner or somebody that owns a lot of cattle looking for home for some more cattle that I can partner with them. Again, I, I think the big mistake is saying I have to own land to be in the livestock business, to be in a, you know, have a cow-calf enterprise or a stalker enterprise. Land can be hard to lease, but going back to Adam's comment, you know, this, the, the census thing that the age of ranchers, you know, ranchers are getting older and older and there's fewer and fewer coming back. And again, profitability plays a big part of that or lack of profitability and, and we're not having fun. So, so let's hook those two people up and, and the older person that doesn't have any heirs that's looking for a, a retirement. Well, that's great retirement income. You can lease, lease your ranch out. you got retirement income that at least today is not subject to social security or self-employment tax. It's subject to income tax, but not the other two. So, so if we can lease that out and have retirement income and somebody else can have a start, I, I think there's great opportunity there. And and I know that 
Shannon Sims, who submitted this next question, has uh, developed a, a shared vision on his place uh, because I've heard him talk twice, uh, once live and another time I watched the video of a talk he gave and they talked about their 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 goal that they had set uh, and their context. And so I know that, that he has a shared vision in place, but he asks, how do I provide meaningful work to everyone involved, meaning his parents who are uh, – older and his kids who are younger. Uh, so meaningful work seems to me to be a, a function of everybody kind of, be, like you said earlier, being on the same page and, and knowing the direction we're going. Is there is there more to it than that? Or is there an, another piece to that that can help uh, foster that sense of meaning among uh, different parts of the team that is managing a ranch? That's a great question. You know, many, how do we provide meaningful work? And I think part of that is, is especially with the older, the older generation that's retiring and, and transitioning out of the business, is, is you know, asking questions like, what do you want out of this thing in the future? What do you want your role to be? And, and how much responsibility do you want to have? And I've seen where dad decides, I just want to be a cowboy. You tell me what to do. And I've seen others that, hey, you know, I've built this genetic counter. I, you know, I want to be involved in some of the genetic decisions that we make and the types of bulls that we're using and, and replacements that we're keeping if we're keeping our own replacement heifers and those kinds of things. So I think it still comes back to, to open, honest communication and having that dialogue. And, and I would not expect that dialogue to be a one-time thing. Mm. I would anticipate, okay, let's let's initiate the dialogue and 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 get started. But again, if if I'm seventy-five years old and I'm on my way out and you know I want to be involved, that could change from year to year and it's certainly going to change in five years. And even on even if I was sixty-five and, and wanting to transition out, you know, my role at age sixty-five might be different than it would be at sixty-eight or seventy. And that's my choice that I want to be less involved or I want to remain involved. So I think having those kinds of conversations of where do you want this thing to go as far as you and your involvement in it and the role you play. And then with the younger generation coming in, I think that's that might be even a tougher conversation because if if dad's seventy five and, and junior's fifty you know, just grabbing ages and numbers out of the air mm -hmm. and the kids 20, you know, how do you have that conversation? You know, is the, is the ranch even big enough to, to support three families and give them the life they want and, and the lifestyle, the quality of life that they like to enjoy. If the kid is a teenager and still in high school, then you still have to have the conversation. But I think we need to understand that those kinds of conversations when we're 13, 15, 18 years old, and we're going to go off to college for a couple of years or four years, there's a lot of change that happens there because if the only world we've ever known is the ranch and how we know a different world, and maybe we don't want to go back. And I've seen it many times too, where, you know, the, the sun goes off and, and, you know, meets this girl and she comes to the ranch and visits and, you know, it's, it's an hour from the middle of nowhere, <laughs> you know, and, and then you're in the middle of nowhere when you get there and then you still got to get somewhere after that. And, 
and it's really cool the first time or two you do that and you're, all right let's get married and move to the ranch and we do that and then all of a sudden the middle of nowhere is a long long ways from anywhere mm. and it was a fun place to come and visit for a weekend or christmas vacation or something like that and now we're here full time and and you know there's not any stores that i like to shop at anywhere close by and those kinds of things start to happen and, and then all of a sudden you know the daughter-in-law says <laughs> you know you got a decision to make because i'm not staying here you know, either we go off someplace and do something else or or i do that by myself or we do it together and then you know the son has to make that decision and so that age right there there's lots of lots of potential for things that that can change and go wrong i think more so than than the older generation transitioning out the older generation we just we just need to get clear you know on what they want and the role they want to play and and have in the business and and sometimes it's just go chop ice or check waters or at branding i'll i'll come and help at branding or, or you know whatever that is but uh on others they still want to have a a finger in the day-to-day operations but someplace in there if there's going to be a transition then the person calling the shots it has to transition from from dad to son and and the the clearer we can become on the on the timing of that and of the roles and how we're going to transition from one role to another and making sure that the younger person has the training and the, and the capacity to to get to where we want them to get to because sometimes that doesn't happen too often than not. So when we're talking about our core principles of a ranch, um, how often should those be updated, or should they? Should it be one of those? It's this is this is the core principles, and and they stay the core principles. And if you are going to come and be a part of this ranch, you need to enjoy them. Or is there some flexibility and? Uh, ability to update those as the business itself changes, given the fact that some people are going to transition out, some people are going to transition in. How how much of that, or is how much freedom is there in that? Yeah, when we look at core principles, you know, core principles typically aren't going to change a whole lot. I would say they're chiseled in stone, but there's some flexibility there. But the thing that I would see would change would would be, you know, that that long term vision might change and and again you know and i sit down with people and, and we work out a plan this is the direction we want to go and how we want to get there and this is why we're doing this and etc cetera, etc cetera. that is i mean that's just that's a roadmap and it's a paper roadmap and and you know we might hit a detour in the roadmap and somebody could die somebody gets divorced somebody becomes disabled um those kinds of things happened and and all of a sudden, what was once a very clear picture now that we've had one of those life events, maybe it's not so clear. We need to go back and readdress it. I think people ought to readdress their long-term vision, you know, every three to five years and, and just make sure are we still ahead of the direction we all want to go and is, is this the way we want want things to, to be and, and are we enjoying the quality of life that we want to enjoy and, and the lifestyle and, and, you know, do we have time to do the things off the ranch that we want to do and do we have money to do those things because sometimes we have time we don't have any money and other times we have money we don't have any time and so to me you know we need, we need to meld those two things together we need to have both time and money to to enjoy whatever that is and and 
whether that's you know ranch rodeos, whether it's shooting clay pigeons, whether it's you know going kayaking or mountain climbing, I you know flying an airplane, whatever it is that that people other hobbies that they have that aren't tied directly to the ranch you know do we have time and money to enjoy those kinds of things and 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 this vision that we're creating we're trying to accomplish with our business so that our business serves us and our cows work for us or our stalkers whatever it is they have but but those animals work for us rather than us work working for them is this thing taking us the direction we want to go or is it now we're just we're running ourselves ragged we're making money but we don't have time to even stop and think then that's not getting us where we want to go either so you know then we need to reevaluate well how can we how can we simplify this operation and i i'm really big on that uh, and my experience has been with the clients that i've worked with is is the if we can simplify the operation we'll make it more profitable almost always hmm. you know simplify it simplify the day-to-day stuff that has to be done simplify just simplify everything if we simplify it then we have time to do things and, and if we're profitable and, and more profitable then we have money to 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 do things during the times that we have time to do it with you know again it comes back to to the the two things time and money so i don't know if i answered shannon's hmm. question or not but yeah. No, I think it's good. And I think part of the question there is, do we expand now or do we wait? And I, I think given the aging demographic of ranchers and the, the changing of hands, there might be some freedom to to wait until you're sure that uh, the next generation wants to be involved before you go ahead and expand because there's what the expansion opportunity that is there today might not be there in five years, but given the aging demographic, there'll probably be different ones. Yeah. And, and, and if I'm, if, if I'm in that position where I'm surrounded by a bunch of old ranchers, I think I'm being proactive about that. You know, I'm being proactive about talking to my neighbors and saying, Hey, you know, if you decide you want to lease this place, I'd sure like to know about it. I'm interested, uh, you know, I'd like to work with you on it or something. And, and, and initiating that conversation not necessarily going to the neighbor and here's a contract I've drawn up and, you know, I'd like you to think about it. I'll be back tomorrow to pick it up. Kind of, uh, But just initiating the conversation and being proactive about that, knowing full well that if, if junior wants to come back, we need to expand. And, and maybe we've, you know, maybe we've expanded internally as, you know, and we've taken some big leaps there that, that we've increased our carrying capacity and, and now things are good, but it's not good enough for, for two families to live, you know, really, really well. All right. I'd, I'd be, I'd be real proactive about going to my neighbors and talking to them and just starting the conversation. Now, obviously if there's a father there and a younger son that's come back, well, that's probably not going to happen there. But if there's a father there, an older guy and nobody's coming back or, uh, man, I, I, I'd be very proactive about that. And when we're managing employees, are in your mind, are incentive programs a good idea? Um, is it a good idea to give people some skin in the game? Uh, do you have any recommendations on managing those things? Yes. Um, if we give a bonus just for the sake of giving a bonus, people come to expect it. And then when they don't get the bonus, they get frustrated, disappointed. 
and I and I've seen that a lot. When we have unfulfilled expectations, mm. they always lead to disappointment and frustration. And by the person that has the unmet expectation, and and so if if we're going to give, I, I mean, I know people that get bonuses because it's Christmas and. You know, I gave him a thousand dollar bonus two years ago. So this year is twelve hundred dollars. You know, I'll give him a little <laughs> bit more. Well, next year, you know, it's only eight hundred. Well, in my mind, if you're the one giving me the bonus and it was a thousand two years ago and then twelve hundred, I'm thinking it's probably gonna be fourteen, fifteen hundred this year, and it's only eight hundred. You know, I'm frustrated and disappointed. I was expecting more than that. And and so when we give bonuses just for the sake of giving bonuses, it typically will backfire on us so if i'm going to do incentives i want the incentives tied to something and it, it all comes back to profitability so whether that's you know gross margin per cow or gross margin per acre or number of percentage of live calves you know at calving or at weaning or number of cows bred back uh, or the gross margin on those cows, but whatever we tie it to, the person that that is going to accept responsibility for that has to have has to have control of it to some degree or another. In other words, we can't we can't tell them how to do everything or tell them how to do it and then say, okay, once you get this done and we reach this point, you get a, a bonus. That doesn't mean you can't give them direction and guidance, but it's the old Doctor Grack acronym dr gragman desired results the guidelines the resources available uh, the accountability and the consequences to the individual and to the business and if we can spell that out very clearly and and if we get to this point then this is what this is what the incentive is this is what it you know whether it's a financial incentive or time off incentive or mm. or whatever it happens to be typically it's going to be financial of some sort or another well if we have that spelled out very clearly and it's measurable so that we can look at that and and the person that's going to accept that responsibility agrees to it and, and we see this is the way we'll measure it and it's there's not a lot of gray area it's pretty much black and white this is you know this is how we're going to measure it then then i think i think incentives can be very very beneficial and can lead to some buy-in but when they're just arbitrary and random, but you know, the end of the year Christmas bonus kind of thing, I just mm -hmm. I've seen that backfire way too many times. Any ideas on how to broach the tough subjects when we have to have a tough conversation with somebody? And I'm I'm wondering if maybe this question isn't coming from the perspective of reassuring myself that this conversation needs to happen and weighing the cost versus benefits of having the conversation versus not. Uh, or and and if you have tools that can help people uh, guide them through a process of having a tough conversation, I'd like to hear those. Yeah, the 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 tough conversations, crucial conversations, is another really good book. But it, it's one of those things that you know you're gonna we're we gonna have the conversation. Or we're just gonna bite our tongues and skirt around it for the rest of our lives. And, you know, hope that when dad dies, you know, everything falls into place for me or, you know, whatever, whatever the conversation is, that, that is a tough conversation that we need to be having. To me, um, let's put a flip chart up there and let's look at the flip chart instead of looking at each other. So that you have that kind of a triangle thing. Hmm. But let's 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 list the, the problems and the things that we're facing, the, the situation 
uh, whatever it is, let's list it on the flip chart and let's attack the problem and not attack people. Mm. And whether that's somebody that's not living up to their share of the bargain, they're not fulfilling their responsibility. Again, we can list the facts on a, on a flip chart and, and just say, okay, now where are we going to go from, from here and have that person take ownership of it? The other side of that is succession planning and that kind of thing is laying it out and, and those defined roles and having that kind of conversation. We don't want dad and mom or mom, whichever one's left, feeling like they're being pushed out and kicked out and we're taking over. So part of that is is let's have the conversation and let's, you know, what role do you want to have and where do you want to be in five years and, and what do you want to be doing with your time? And, and too many times, you know, the off-the-cuff answer is, well, I just want to do what I've always done. The bottom line is you probably can't do that anymore at 70 like you could when you were 35. You know, or 80 or 90, you can't do it like you used to be able to do it. So having those conversations, I think laying it out and I think if we schedule time for that and and everybody knows this is the conversation we're going to have and we're going to have it at this day and we're probably not going to finish it, but we're going to start and we're going to lay some things out and then we're going to think about it and come back and have another conversation and and work through the process. A lot of these things are processes. They're not just cut and dry overnight or sit down and two or three hours we hash this out and now everybody's happy for the rest of their lives. Some, sometimes we need to think these things through a little bit. Um, sometimes, not always, but sometimes you need a facilitator to come in and help through that process. Um, I facilitate a lot of those kinds of meetings, and, and sometimes they work out really good with some really good changes that, that come to people, and sometimes they don't. Uh, the ranch I worked with several years ago, uh, family ranch and two and three generations involved. And, you know, whether the involvement was, you know, as a, as a shareholder, stockholder in, in the company or actual management, you know, boots on the ground working kind of thing. But um, they ended up leasing the ranch out. And I think that was the best decision they could have made hmm. because the trust had been taken to a point where it wasn't really going to get rebuilt for a long time and people didn't trust each other and lies had been told and mm. dishonest things had happened with money and with livestock and, and that kind of thing that, that the trust just wasn't there. And so, you know, the, the family didn't want to sell the place. I mean, they, they felt, you know, part of their heritage and legacy was there and, to pass on and what had been passed on to them. They wanted to keep it and grow it. And, but, you know, they leased, leased the ranch out. And sometimes that's the best answer. And sometimes it's not. But I've seen people couldn't come to an accord and they sold, sold the ranch. And, and to me, that's not, that's not a win either. Mm -hmm. you know, we just, all right, forget it. We'll just sell the place and, you know, whatever's left of the money when we're gone, you can fight over it, divide it up or whatever. But, but I think sometimes we need professional facilitation to come in and help that because these can be very sensitive issues and sensitive topics to talk about. And whenever things are, whenever things have a tendency to be sensitive, they also have a tendency to bring emotions to the surface. And when emotions come to the surface, sometimes we say and do things that we normally wouldn't say and do, and then we regret it later. 
And so sometimes, you know, just a good facilitator coming in and helping with, with that kind of a process is, can be very, very beneficial to the, to the team and the parties involved there. So if you've got a generation that doesn't want to come back to the ranch, are there any investments or assets that you've seen uh, people make use of um, that can, can make the transfer a little bit more fair uh, not necessarily equitable, but fair. Yeah, and, and, and I appreciate you saying that, Clay, because a lot of times we get hung up on, you know, we have to, we have three kids, we got to give them each a third, a third, a third, and that's not true at all. I mean, that's that's equal, but that does not necessarily mean fair. And fair and equal are not synonymous terms, and so we need to, we need to come to grips with that and really get over it. But I've seen I've seen people use life insurance policies. I've seen people invest off the ranch and other businesses or other have other investments, whether it's real estate, whether it's a stock portfolio of some sort or those kinds of things that maybe the off branch kids get. Um, I think one of the biggest things is separating the land entity from the operating company or the operating entity, because if we separate that out and, 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 almost always the land is worth a whole lot more than the operating company is. So you can have a, you know, $15 million ranch that the operating company is worth a million or $2 million or something like that. Well, how do you divide that up? And you say, okay, I'm going to split it between my five kids. Well, now, you know, you got five ranches that run a hundred or 150 cows and you know, there's no scale there. There's no money to be made there. But if we separate the land entity from the operating company, then what can happen is that can be set up where the the heirs all own the land entity, and it can be set up so it's not going to be sold. It doesn't have to be sold, or it doesn't get to be sold, or it just won't happen. And that can be set up legally, and then the operating company leases the land at fair market rent. So if there's three kids involved you know, that own the land and one of those owns the operating company and he pays fair market rent or she pays mm-hmm. fair market rent to the the land entity. Well, if he or she owns a third of that, he, you know, they're going to get some of that money back anyway. But they're but they're renting it at fair market value. And so the other siblings are looking at it and say, hey, you know, I'm doing as good as I could do if I leased it to my neighbor or somebody else. So this is, I get some passive income every year and and I don't have to go out there and work for it. It just comes in. And, and so you know, that can be, that can be very good. The, the challenge comes in is where all right, we've got this $15 million ranch and, and the two off ranch kids, you know, let's sell it because if we sell it for 15, I get 5 million. And mm-hmm. you, know, you each get 5 million. I'd rather have my money and run with it, go do something else, pay the taxes and what's left over. I get to keep kind of thing. and. And I see that more frequently when there's no rental income coming in. But if rental mm-hmm. income's coming in and land historically appreciates in value, because all right, well, down the road, maybe we will sell it, but at least at the time being, I'm, I'm getting fair market rent for that land and, and it's money I wouldn't have. And it's college money for my kids or grandkids or paying off my mortgage on my home or buying me a new vehicle or, you know, whatever it is, but it's money that I wouldn't normally have. And so separating those two two things out, the operating company from the land company is just huge. And 
I think everybody should do that at least on paper, but but doing it legally so that the legal entities can be a, a real, real benefit in succession planning and and those kinds of conversations. Uh, Alan, I appreciate your generosity with your time today. Uh, we're going to have a show notes page for today at workingcows.net slash 139. There will be a link to the Simon Sinek book, uh, the Crucial Conversations book, and then also a recent Profit Tips article where Dallas Mount shared your latter illustration. Uh, I'll link to all that at workingcows.net slash one. 39. If you've got just a couple of more minutes, I would like to ask you a couple of uh, fun lightning round questions. Okay, let me recommend one other book. It's called Extreme Ownership. Okay. The subtitle is How U.S. Navy Seals Lead and Win. It's by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. I don't know if I said their names right or not, but, but that book, they take something that happened to the Navy SEAL team and and they tell the story, and then they explain the principle behind it, and then they apply it to business. And it mm. is very, very applicable to a ranching business as it is any other business. But I, I really, really enjoy that book. I've given sure. away several copies of it and to clients and whatnot over the years. But extreme ownership. Sounds real good. You got Fire it. away. All right. Okay. So uh, one, one person, uh, Jay Clark, wants to know, can you argue both sides of raising heifers versus buying replacements with equal enthusiasm? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. This is how I like my lightning round answers to be. So uh, then John Coleman Locke says Cessna 180 or 182. It depends. Ah, he says, is it true that real men fly airplanes with little wheels behind the big ones? <laughs> it's been said. I, I have heard that said, and that's true. <laughs> well, thank you for your time today, uh, Alan. Any Anything you want to share as far as how people can uh, keep up with where you're going to be uh, or how they can get a hold of you to bring you in on some consulting? Or is, is you know, COVID-19 uh, just got all that stuff too much up in the air? <laughs> No, my phone number is 520-253-0040. That's my cell phone, which is my office phone, and that's the only phone I have. And and, uh, if people call, if I'm in a meeting or on a phone or out of pocket on a ranch visit or someplace where I don't have cell phone service, if they don't leave a message, I don't return the call. Mm -hmm. But if they're interested in, in having a conversation, uh, no obligation conversation. I would be happy to talk to somebody in usually about 30 minutes and just go into kind of a discovery mode of what they see their issues and problems are and, and you know, what getting those resolved would look like for them and that kind of thing. And then, and then we can have a conversation about what it would look like if I got involved with them and, and where that might go. And, and, and uh, but I, I do offer some free, free phone, whatever you want to call it, orientation, consultation, right off the bat. If somebody is interested and they want to fill me out and I fill them out, and, and quite frankly, it's not always a good fit. You know, sometimes I'm not right, sometimes they're not right, and, and it needs to be a good fit if we're going to work together and, and try to try to get things to happen for them. So um, call me. That's the best way. Just give me a call. and I'll be happy to set up a time and we can have a conversation and then see where it goes. And again, absolutely no no commitment or no obligation on their part to make the call. They're not buying into anything. It's just let's have a conversation to see see where it leads. Sounds real good. Alan, thanks for your time today. You're very welcome. Looking forward to talking to the guys from Performance Beef 
Analytics next week. We're going to talk to them about the product and how it's serving a lot of different uh, needs in the marketplace and giving people an opportunity to improve their profitability and their quality of life. So kind of what we're all about here on the Working Cows podcast. Look forward to that with ep- on episode 140 for the Working Cows podcast. We invite you to visit workingcows.net to subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, resources from our guests, and the industry leaders who have influenced them. For more ideas on putting your cows to work for you in a more profitable way, tune in next week.